This episode is brought to you by WeatherGuard Lightning Tech. At WeatherGuard, we make wind turbine lightning protection easy. If you're a wind farm operator, stop settling for damaged turbine blades and constant downtime. Get your uptime back with our strike tape lightning protection system. Learn more in today's show notes or visit weatherguardwind.com slash strike tape. Welcome back. I'm Alan Hall. I'm Dan Blewett, and this is the Uptime Podcast, where we talk about wind energy, engineering, lightning protection, and ways to keep your wind turbines running. All right, welcome back to the Uptime Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dan Blewett. On today's show, we have a great guest. Henrik Lund Nielsen is here. He is the founder and general manager of Cobod International. So let's first talk about uh, the company a little bit. So Cobod is a really interesting, uh, it's, a, it's a disruptive 3D construction printing company. So they're creating the technology, the 3D printers themselves to do concrete 3D printing, which is currently being used for uh, in just in the general construction sector, building uh, houses. They built a two-story apartment building. Um, so they're capable of building all sorts of structures. They're also, this is uh, one of the big things we'll talk about today, uh, in the wind industry, building uh, wind turbine bases. So they can build a wider base uh, on site that is going to allow wind turbines to get significantly taller because they have that wider base. So that's currently a bottleneck in the construction process of onshore wind. So it's a really interesting solution. Cobod is partnering with GE on the uh, the wind turbine base project. Uh, they're also partners with uh, Lafarge for, which is the largest uh, concrete manufacturer in the world, uh, for their different um, types of concrete because this has to be a flowable, um, you know, high strength. Like it, there's a lot of really interesting uh, things that we'll 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 talk about today in the show. Um, a lot of interesting aspects to the concrete material itself. You can't just take something off the shelf uh, from your lo- local uh, hardware store and expect that to work. Um, so there's a lot of high tech stuff, not just the, the 3D printer uh, technology itself, but also the materials, like I said, the concrete and the additives to them. And then, uh, you know, just what different types of projects can can they complete and the architecture of all those really, really fascinating. All right. So a little bit more about our guest uh, today, Hendrik Lund Nielsen. So he is a uh, graduate of the Copenhagen Business School, also has MBA from what is now Alliant International University. He was longtime CEO of Gypsum Recycling International. He's been a board member of numerous companies, CEO of a number of other companies. He's also the founder of uh, the 3D Print or 3D Print Ventures (ANS), and he's of course founder and general manager of Cobot International. So, lots of experience managing people uh, in the economic disruption space, and he's highly interested in disruptive technologies that can you know make the world better and make economic sense on a much bigger scale. So that's, again, a large piece of the conversation today about how 3D printing can just make a lot of projects faster, more economical, and also have a more uh, positive local impact. So, you know, you set up a printer in another another country, train workers locally, use local materials. That's a big part of this, uh, this mission of Cobot. So Without further ado, we're going to jump into our conversation today with Henrik Lund Nielsen, founder and general manager of Cobot International. All right, Henrik, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. No worries. 
So obviously you are out in Denmark and I mean, this is, you know, that's when, when power is essentially in your, your blood, right? Uh, that's true. Most Danish people have a uh, long life, uh, love, uh, with windmills. Mm-hmm. Well, and you've, you've an interesting childhood story. So you, you mentioned you have a, a connection actually a little bit with, uh, the, the CEO of Vestas. You two grew up together. Is that right? Yeah, we grew up together. And, uh, when we turned 18 and had to write our social thesis, assignment in in high school we chose to write about the uh, windmills uh, and which at that time you know we were speaking about almost 40 years ago uh was uh, mostly something that was supported by hippies hippie movement uh, <laughs> you know uh, uh, yeah the kind of uh, the leftovers from the woodstock uh, period and and so on and then a few farmers so definitely uh, Normal conservative industry was dead set against it, but I've always loved it, and and uh, I I think it's a no-brainer that you put something up and then you generate the uh, energy out of a resource that doesn't cost anything. Uh, so, uh, from an economic point of view, I think it's uh, it's wonderful, and um, yeah, I I I've been in love with it since I was 18, <laughs> and then we wrote that thesis together uh, with the, the guy that then my good friend that ended up becoming the CEO of Vistas, uh, quite funny also. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how you never know where you're going to go in life no. and these crazy parallels even decades later. So yeah. you're the, uh, one of the founders and, um, you're the general manager of Cobod. And yeah. a- as you just mentioned, you know, you, this stuff isn't just for, you know, in the wind industry specifically, it's not just for hippies anymore. This is a big commercial business, right? And and, and really? you're focused heavily on economic improvement yeah. and economic disruption. So can you talk a little bit about how your technology at Cobod is going to disrupt and, and improve uh, not just wind, but really you're looking much bigger at the economic footprint that your te- your tech can, can provide? Mm-hmm. Well, you can say there are some very heavy logistical constraints uh, when you want to do tall towers, uh, because the towers are so-called conical shape. That means they have a, a diameter which is larger at the base than at the top. And so the, the taller you go, as there's a minimum uh, diameter at the top, the taller you go, the wider the base becomes. However, in most countries, also in the US, uh, you cannot transport anything that is more than 4.5 meters in in diameter. And that puts a natural limit at the towers for being uh, up to 80 meter. So anything that is made in a factory and has to be pre-assembled in a factory and then shipped like that will run into trouble uh, Mm -hmm. around the the 80 meters. Whereas we, our factory is on wheel. We can put up a a printer anywhere. We, We take a truck out with a printer and then we set it up anywhere and we can print what 10 meters uh, wide bases or 12 meter or 15 meter wide bases yeah so let's talk about that so obviously you know we mentioned uh this 3d printing uh, construction technology back in one of our shows i think in june and you know like you said the the solution is helping wind turbines grow taller because now we can do a lot of this this construction on site. Um, but right. can you describe the actual technology itself? So the BOD2 is your new printer. Um, how does that all work? How does it get set up on a construction site? So if a wind, you know, and we'll get to GE a little bit because they're your big partner uh, on the wind yeah. side right now. Um, but let's talk about what the technology looks like right now. Okay, BOD2 is our second generation printer. Uh, with our first generation, we 3D printed the, the first uh, 3D printed building in Europe back in 17. But we were not satisfied with it, so we developed the the bot two instead. 
Uh, it's modular built of modules of two and a half meter, uh, so around eight eight feet if you're measuring feet. So uh, you go in any direction with two and a half meters with a maximum width of 15 meters, so 50 feet, uh, and a maximum height right now of 33 feet or 10 meters. Whereas in the links, you can go as long as you like. You just add more modules and more C-axis. Okay. Um, and yeah. so for those those of you out here, this is obviously 3D construction and printing, and you're probably familiar. Uh, this is becoming a much more mainstream, right? I know, you know, years ago, 3D printing yeah. was just little plastic, you know, whether it was little devices or, or trinkets or, or construction, or not construction pieces, but... It was a very smaller scale thing. It's, it's yeah. been around for a the couple of decades. Of the, printers, the, print, the principle of the printers is still the same. You know, mm -hmm. you move on three axes at the same time, X, Y, and C. So in the width, in the length, and in the height. Yeah. And which so. Is, we just made them much, many times bigger than what you've seen before. The, the longest we've made so far, so far was uh, 27 meters. Yeah. In the so let's talk about that progression too. So obviously, you know, there are now tabletop versions of 3D printers. So I could buy one today, it'd be here, you know, in a couple of days, I could print things out of plastic, potentially metal even. And mm -hmm. you identified this a long time ago and you said this could be used for construction. We could pump concrete through this 3D printer and maybe build a house, build a school, build, you know, all sorts of different buildings. And it has a lot of it has a lot of limitations removed, like we said, with the, with the wind turbine bases, but also construction in general. What, what were some of those other limitations and why did you why did you see this infantile, not infantile, but this this technology is infancy and say we could do this on a huge scale for construction? Well, we already made uh, printers uh, of, of uh, polymer printers with uh, of the dimension of one to two meter and so on. So in that sense, the step was not uh, as far uh, for us. Uh, the first printer we made was uh, approximately seven by seven by seven meters. Um, but the, the principles are the same. But what is what is critical is that you have a material that is first flowable because then you can transport it in hoses. Mm -hmm. And then once it comes out of the extrusion, the print nozzle, as we call it, uh, being extruded, it very fast cures up and becomes hard. And, and you, so you need that, uh, uh, um, let's say, fluid, solid uh, transition to, to happen quite, quite fast. So in the cheap printers you're speaking about, you're doing it with plastics that you, you heat up and therefore it becomes flowable. And then when it uh, dries down, uh, it becomes hard. Same thing in, with concrete. We, we found out that uh, concrete, when it's made, is, is uh, fluid, it's flowable, uh, but it, it, can, it can be made to, to harden pretty quickly. And then you can build with it. So let's let's jump to, so we have a lot to cover today. You have a, such a unique story with, with Cobot and your different partners. Let's jump to Lafarge. So they're the biggest concrete supplier in the world. Tell us a yep. little bit about the concrete, because like you can't just take anything off the shelf. I'm sure you couldn't just run down to the local hardware store and say, this concrete's going to work in our in our printer. No, correct. Uh, so so this project that uh, that we are doing with uh, GE as the, the, the end customer, if you like, uh, uh, they th that's uh, run by three partners in in a fantastic uh, I, I would have to describe it as an excellent cooperation between the partners so we each have our field uh, our field obviously is the 3d printing technology the field of advice is obviously the materials and so on um the the uh, like we are undergoing a development with uh, our technology um upscaling it and industrializing it uh because these windmill towers are, are very tall and they require a lot of concrete then at the same time, Lafarge on their side is uh, upscaling and upgrading uh, 
uh, they are concrete. So moving from, let's say, less uh, strong concretes to more and more strong concretes, and also concretes that are easier to mix, to pump, uh, but still can have that ability to, to cure up pretty fast. Uh, this is a special science and, and it's nothing that, that we could do on our own. And, and so we're very uh, grateful for that, uh, that Farge also saw a possibility in this and would join this uh, uh, joint cooperation that, uh, that we have with the Yeah. And this was one of the questions I, I had for you before, which is, uh, you know, what, what role does your company have within a construction site using, you know, your 3D printer? So you aren't necessarily designing the building you are supplying the or, or maybe you're, you're supplying the tools right you're supplying the 3d printer for a company to say so if i have my construction company i say hey i want to build a house you sell me the 3d printer and then but maybe we we cooperate and we develop the different the you know the, the project so that okay here's the let's work with lafarge so we have the right concrete let's work with other teams so can you tell me a little bit about that process where do you exactly come in to this whole thing no, you're, you're, you're entirely correct. We, we, so we are the, the tech supplier. So we are a tech company. We are not a construction company. So uh, in our, in our uh, building construction uh, area of our business, uh, we are basically selling 3D construction printers to our customers that are then executing project, projects with the help of our printers. But we are not doing it actively on site ourselves. So the role that we play on site normally in a normal construction project is, is uh, zero because we just supply the, the just supply the necessary printer and then our customers are applying. In the case of, of uh, GE, it's a little bit different, uh, different because this is still very um, immature and not a lot of people have tried uh, 3D mm -hmm. printing windmills before. In fact, we are the only one who's ever done it before. So, so hence we are taking the lead role in that. But during this year, there'll be a transition where other people will actually man our printers so that even the uh, construction of the, the the newer prototypes that we're going to do this year uh, will not be done uh, by our, our guys uh, in front. But we will be there to supervise, but we will not be the ones that are manning the printer, etc. So we're training local crews in the U.S. to be able to do these uh, jobs. Oh, that's interesting. So that, that's a big change for you. I mean, it's sort of like, all right, we've we've given the tools, we've given the training, and now yeah, yeah. Let, no, let, we let's were, see how it works. Time, first, time, first time we did it, which was with our first bot, bot two printer back in January 19. Um, we were we were a little bit um, doubtful of how it would go because it's brand new technology, never been applied before, and so on. And our customer Camp C doesn't have their own uh, construction workers. It's mm -hmm. it's a it's a kind of R and D uh, innovation center, so they don't have construction workers. Instead, they took students from the nearby university. Then we trained the students. The students trained other students, and these students made the the, the first two-story building in Europe. Uh, wow. But quite funny, we trained students that trained other students, and then they did it. So that sort of proved to us that, hey, it, it even if it seems science fiction and so on, it's not that hard. I mean, we can basically train anybody that is IT skilled or engineer skilled uh, to, to, uh, to master uh, the printer uh, within a week. Yeah. So before we, we go back to GE, because there's a, I have a couple more questions for you about it. That, that is a really interesting aspect of that. This is this is not backbreaking construction labor, which is a really positive thing. Right. And it's also really interesting where I'm sure lots of younger people 
you know, the millennial generation, they, everyone has, you know, this, they, they're coming up with this tech background, right? I didn't grow up with a smartphone. I know you didn't, but nope. we, uh, these kids do, right? Like, and so they're coming into this world where they're a lot more tech savvy from the get go. So, I mean, do you see the worker who, you know, in construction, is, is it changing? I mean, this seems like it could really take off where, hey, I want to work in construction because this printer is super cool. I'm on the forefront of this new technology. We could do good things with it. We could print really cheap buildings and do good for, you know, small communities and communities that need a new, you know, whatever it is. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of applications where the, the human aspect could be really excited about this. That's correct. Um, well, you asked a lot of questions at the same time. I did, I did. I'll, 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 I'll try to provide two answers. Uh, number one, as to the popularity of of working with with tech like uh, like 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 we are supplying, yes, there is there is no doubt. I mean, if you look at my my own recruit, recruitment situation, uh, we are we are Danish by by birth, uh, and still fifty percent of our employees are Danish, but the other fifty percent are internationals, and we basically uh, hire the best we can get, and we get a lot a lot of applications from the whole world, uh, from young people that just wants to work with this technology. Um, this is very, very different from the construction sector. The construction mm -hmm. sector in all the developed countries, U.S. including, the Germany, Denmark, and Japan, Korea, they're all seeing a shortage of new entries into the construction sector. So in particular in Japan, for instance, you have a, a very high percent of the workforce. I think it's actually 30% of their workforce, construction workforce, is retiring within 10 years. And they can't get new entrants. Yeah. Uh, so young people that want to do construction work because it's hard and it's it's not pleasant the uh, working conditions and you get worn out and our technology solves that so because it does it's not physically damaging to you or or, or, or stressing you in any way um so a lot of our customers are also seeing this is a chance to overcome that lack of uh, skilled labor because all the skills are, are in the printer so that's part, the first part of the answer yeah. the second part of the answer is the millenniums sure you know, like my kids, they've almost grown up with a with a with a tablet, and you know what? You can control the 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 printer with the tablet. So whether it's a, a you know a TikTok program you're controlling with <laughs> through your your laptop or, or the printer, it's as easy. It is as easy. The whole thing is made automatic. Huh? Yeah. So obviously this iteration of your technology it's not the first right we, we talked about there's different types so you know there's robotic uh, the gantry arms and then there's your method can you talk about the two and why you've you've chosen the one that you're, you've settled on sure uh, within uh, concrete printing there are there are basically two schools uh one is the robotic arm uh, school where you print in front of yourself you print fairly small elements, typically maximum of uh, four feet in the width and a couple of feet in the depth and maybe eight feet in, in the height. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you piece these elements together to make an entirety, so to say. Uh, whereas our printer, you, you set them up at the, the uh, around the entire thing that you want to print. You set it up once and then you print the whole thing. There are no connections between parts, etc. It's made in, in one go. It was clear to us that if you wanted to, to move into large construction objects like uh, buildings, houses, two stories, three stories, windmills, etc. You the gantry uh, solution would be the robotic arm solution very, very superior. Mm -hmm. Where the robotic arm solution is superior is if you have to make very intricate, very um, artistic, uh, smaller single objects like uh, a, a very twisted column or something like that. Yeah. There the robotic arm with its less size 
it's more precision because it can move around in six axes mm -hmm. where we move on four axes. Um, they are the robotic arm. Uh, I think has a relevance. I don't think it has a relevance in in making entire buildings. Gotcha, gotcha. So I want to jump back to to GE here. So obviously, I know there's some things you can't talk about, and there's a lot of really interesting, you know, new tech, you know, perhaps under NDA. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about just getting this wind turbine base up and test it. Because I mean, one of the things I, th I think that's interesting is that, you know, there aren't 3D printed there's not many 3d printed structures out there right this is a new oh. it's on the forefront so one of the chief questions is how do we know it's not going to fall down right i mean you have a huge wind turbine right. on top of this base in mm -hmm. high winds there's lots of stresses and forces um mm -hmm. how did you test that out and, and what was that process like to say hey this is this is solid obviously this has not only been one test it's been multiple tests mm -hmm. Uh, I think an even better guarantee you get is that uh, you get certifiers involved uh, when it comes to the real thing, when it has to be made in the real world uh, application, you get a certifier involved, in this case, DNVTL, DNVTL, mm -hmm. um, and they certify that this building method that we are doing with the kind of rebar, the kind of concrete, with uh, this and this documented strengths, etc., that that will be safe to use. So you have a you have a whole certification process uh, 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 going on. We've not reached that stage yet. We'll get there, but we haven't reached it yet. Gotcha. And then, I mean, is it a situation where? Because again, like I know we talked a little bit about um, outside the box and inside the box. And it, would you describe what you're doing? It's obviously it's it's new technology and it's really interesting. But it, it's would you describe it as really really outside the box as far as construction, no, or is it still kind no, of inside the box? No, it's disruptive within the box, so to say, because we are disrupting the way you are manufacturing, but you're using uh, technologies and methods that are that are, have been used before. So you're using a concrete material, you're using uh, uh, steel cages as a rebar or steel tendons as rebar. And those are what what has always been used in, in concrete towers and mm -hmm. um, uh, and that's why in that sense it's within the box uh you could also go outside of the box and say well with this technology we have completely new solutions for making for instance reinforcement solutions that we haven't seen before so we do glass fiber uh, reinforced wire or something like that uh, which has not been applied before uh and we have a parallel process also looking outside the box not just inside the box Gotcha. Okay, that makes but, sense. But the inside the box will make you have a commercial viable product much faster, because yeah. when you're outside the box, it's all new and uh, uh, you you need to test and prove much more, of course. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's talk about speed a little bit. So you know, say you know, in the future uh, a wind site's going up, and they say, hey, we've got eighty turbines, and we want to get like we need as many. 3D printers as we can get to, to get this up, you know, with traditional uh, manufacturing or, or construction, it could take months or years, right? It's going to take a, probably a couple of years to get all the construction done. What's what's typical the uh, the speed increase with, you know, say they had say they had 80 winter runs. Let's go with that number. Is it five? Is it 10 printers? And they could hammer them out in a, in a matter of weeks instead of months and years. I mean, what can they it's expect? All on, it all depends on how much capital cost uh, that you want, uh, because obviously, like we spoke about before, the, the printer can be moved from side to side, but within the side, it can also easily be moved, right? Mm -hmm. So the fewer of the printers that you apply, the longer it will obviously take. Mm -hmm. But, but you know, our ambition is, is to, to, to look at making a tower in a week. 
which is uh, which is a huge improvement in terms of the let's say the, the first 80 meters. We will do that. Uh, our, our ambition is to do that uh, within a week, and I can try to put that into perspective. The first tower we did, we did 19 for for GE. It was a it was a 10 meter tower, so 33 feet tower uh, of 100 tons. They still, even if we did the first prototype, they were skeptical as to could it really be correct that you could put up a printer and then print a 10 meter tower yeah. in a short period of time. We we knew we could because we had been doing other things. Uh, we we were a little bit disappointed about the speed. Um, so we predicted that the next time we would have to do the same tower, we could cut it down from three weeks to three days. Now, in the meantime, then a year's passing, a lot, a lot of things were, were upgraded, made more industrial, so in terms of pumps and mixers, and then the design changed. So instead of being 100 tons now, the 10 meter, it was 175 tons, so 75% more. Mm-hmm. And by the way, we should also remember that we just had to apply, while we were printing, so at the same time, eight tons of reinforcement. Now, we did that. We did it in three three days and four hours. So wow. you can say we did 75% more in one-seventh of the time. That's a 12-time improvement in productivity from one the first time to the second time. So obviously, if we did it a third time, we w- could do it even faster and the fourth time even faster and so on. And that's why that's why we, we, we from Cobot's side at least, we're thinking, okay, 80 meter, let's do it in a week. Yeah. So three weeks down to three days was your first uh, progression. Yeah, but with 75% yeah. more material. Right? Yeah. So the printed 75% more, despite the fact you went from three weeks to three days. So let's talk about the worker aspect of that. So obviously a lot of these wind sites um, and construction projects in general, right? If you're going to build a couple of houses in a, in a very remote rural area or up really high up in the mountains and in a hospitable place, traditionally you'd have to send a big construction team and they might be there for months or years on end. How would that potentially change with, uh, with 3D printing? There's no doubt for a, for a lot of these sites, uh, and and the more the sites are growing in size, the more remote you are getting. And and when you're remote, there's more no doubt that the deployment of the crews is a significant, a very very significant. You can call it logistical cost or whatever you want to call it, deployment cost. Mm-hmm. And clearly, when you then can cut down on time with the help of our technology, you can cut down on that uh, per time unit. Uh, expensive deployment of the of the of the crews. Um, so also in that sense, we will help that help to cut down costs. Yeah, and and one of the interesting things um, that I, I was thinking that's probably uh, overlooked quite a bit is if you're going to do a site in say in, in another country, like say it's in in South America, there might be a lot of you know say you want to import you know, a base that's made of concrete or import a tower. Does that pose problems doing that importing? Yeah, yeah. some of the biggest markets in the world, Brazil, India, and so on, they have high import barriers for steel. So if there's no local uh, uh, steel plant close by, it doesn't help that you are in one end of uh, Brazil having a a steel plant, and then you are doing a project at the other end because inland uh, transportation is also extremely costly. So there might be, you know, a plant uh, somewhere in Mexico and it would be cheaper to ship from there. But the problem is then you're hit by import uh, uh, barriers, import tariffs. So we also localize uh, 
production. And that means we're creating jobs locally with the help of our technology. And that is actually a demand in a lot of these tenders that there is a certain percentage of local content in the uh, execution of the project. So in, in that sense, it's, 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 it's good also that you use uh, local, local people and create local jobs instead of importing people from all kinds of places. Of course, you still need to have some experts involved that's coming from abroad, but you can use a large base of local people also. Yeah. So if you had a project in Brazil, for example, you know, you might have to import all those steel bases, but with a 3D printer, you could say, hey, we're going to set up here and we're going to make it all locally from local aggregate, you know, mix the concrete locally and train the workers locally. And that could probably, I mean, do you feel like that's potentially going to allow a lot, not, not only projects faster, but more governments are going to approve these. It's going to reduce the cost in general. For sure. Yes. And don't think, and then also think about the CO2 friendliness of that. Mm-hmm. As, a, as a compared to shipping materials or uh, finished products uh, wide distances. So CO2, as, sorry, concrete printing is in itself CO2 friendly because you, you, you use resources that are close to your site uh, and you don't transport it unnecessarily to a factory first and then you, fa- you transport the elements and then you use a crane to get the elements in place, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. So it's much more CO2 friendly that way also. Gotcha. And, and, you know, if there's a lot of concrete casting that had to be done or, you know, you might potentially have to put up a factory in another, in like in a local area. Is that right? And this could potentially alleviate that issue as well. Yeah. If, if uh, for certain reasons you cannot make steel, uh, uh, steel towers, uh, then, and you have to make a concrete plant, um, then you're looking at, uh, 50 million euros. So 60, 60 million, uh, US dollars to uh, establish a plant and what do you then use the plant for afterwards? You, in essence, you have the same problem when you build the uh, tunnels and bridges. Or the Olympics. Places, <laughs> yeah, in a lot of places you, you, you have to build a factory, you know, next to it in a harbor if it's a tunnel, right? But what do you then use that factory for afterwards? Uh, you know, so, so we can move the printer to wherever it's needed. When you are finished with it in one side, you take it down, you, you take it to the next side. Gotcha. So if more, um, obviously with GE being, you know, they're the, the front runner in this, they're your partner at the moment, they're, they're trying to get this technology up and running and viable for them. Um, I mean, what barriers will other companies, you know, say some construction company says, Hey, yeah, we want to be involved in this. What are the barriers, uh, for them to suddenly be competent to say, yeah, we have the skills, we have the resources to, to build, whether it's a wind site for their own turbines or whether it's buildings for their construction company. Sure. If you speak about the construction companies, then, then, uh, there are no barriers because I'm sure that GE would be, would be happy to work with the, let's say the most uh, competitive construction companies in that area where they have to do projects, right? So again, it's not us who's going to be doing it. We're going to sell the printers. It's going to be GE's. Uh, and then GE is going to uh, apply them uh, with That's, the help of yeah. local, local construction companies all over the world. So hmm. for the construction companies, there, there are, in essence, there are no barriers. There's just an, a, a new way to make the uh, the towers. Uh, and they don't have to to fund all this development, which is uh, funded by, by, by GE, but also by grants. Uh, among others, there's a Department of Energy grant from the, from the U.S. that is uh, that is backing this project that we're having. Okay, okay. So let's talk about other applications within within wind energy. So it's not just towers, right? I know potentially foundations could be maybe on your yeah. radar. Um, and what about offshore? Uh, but let's start with foundations first. Yes, 
Well, foundations uh, are, you know, really interesting application because right now you can say um, we are looking at, and the way that windmills are designed is that two separate pieces. You have the tower piece and then you have the foundation, which is a very wide thing. So it's not untypical that while you have the four and a half meter maximum uh, diameter here, when you talk about the foundation, it's 25 meters. Now, what would happen if we thought out this thing as one combined unit? and made it as one, you know, what advantages would that be given? And, and you know, initial calculations are showing that it's a very, very promising uh, use of the technology also, but we have to, you know, we like a baby. We're learning we're learning how to <laughs> run here. First, first we have to crawl and probably we'll learn to crawl now. And soon we have to start uh, walking. Uh, and then after that, we can learn how to run. So okay. but we have to take it step by step. And then yeah. that also that also goes for the, for the offshore because obviously, Offshore is, is hugely interesting uh, application, especially here in Europe. Uh, you know where we have a lot of uh, sea, but not a lot, not a, many sites uh, where you can put up uh, new windmills. That's very different from the U.S., where you have these uh, Midwest and and Texas and so on. You have these ma mass areas where you can put up a lot, a lot of windmills where you're not bothering anybody. That's much more difficult in Europe. So that's why offshore is is so popular in Europe. Whereas in the U.S., you don't have that much coastline relative to your population. Mm -hmm. So so the land application is, is more uh, attractive in, in the US, which is also why it's uh, it's no wonder that it was GE that, that, uh, that is spearheading this technology because uh, the land application is, is so important in the US. Gotcha, gotcha. I mean, do you see this potentially being, you know, 3D printers on the coast and just pr yeah. printing things that might have typically been precast and then taking them yeah. offshore, they might sink them. They might be. I see it everywhere, be... I, yeah. I see it everywhere. You know, there's no end to where I could see it. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we have to learn how to do it and we have to overcome some some barriers and uh, there are no, there's no magic here. It's hard work and development and, and people that are believing it and, 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 and money and finance to be able to do it. But yes, I can see that happening too. I can even see us printing on, on ships, on boats, uh, and then lowering it down and, and so on. Wow, that's interesting. So let's talk about that. You said, you knew, you mentioned people believing in it. Um, yeah. And you have some pretty powerful, big, strong clients, right? I mean, and partners yeah. here. So uh, Lafarge Wholesome is one of the biggest, uh, you know, the biggest concrete manufacturer, right? And GE is obviously a huge uh, wind turbine manufacturer. Um, yeah. But you also had another big one, um, a construction uh, and home and a home hardware company really helped, you know, they really no, believed German, in you earlier. The German, the German, the German Perry Group, uh, which is making the what is known as formwork equipment. If you want to cast concrete on site, in the past, you were either doing it with manual. You you try to make some 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 molds with the help of uh, wood, uh, or you would uh, buy formwork equipment. And and Perry is the uh, leading company globally within the supply of formwork equipment. They very quickly realized that. Uh, we're also casting on site. In essence, that's what we're doing. We're casting concrete on site and basically the same as, as application as they're pursuing. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're doing it automatic and they are doing it manual manual solutions. And they predicted very quickly that, uh, wow, this, this, this technology is going to take a large share of the construction market. So it's better to, uh, to join these guys than to try to beat them. So Perry came in very early, uh, back in 18, uh, and it's been tremendously important for us, uh, both in terms of giving credibility and so on, but it's uh, 
It's a two billion euros or so sales uh, uh, company, ten plus ten thousand employees, eighty eighty employ eighty uh, superiors yeah. around the world. Obviously, they come in with all their know-how and knowledge of the construction industry of concrete and of casting and so on, and we have benefited benefited tremendously from that. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it seems like that's always a big part of it. Like you have to have like the early adopters and obviously for like tech and lots of little devices, you know, everyone, you know, there are some people who are the early adopters of a of an iPhone, right? You know, like the the, the geeks. Um, but in your case, these are some these are some big companies that were like, we we see the same. Um, we have this we see what what Henrik sees. You know, I, I, I need to uh, applaud Perry Group because what they did was they did a, a disruptive arm of their own company. said, we, we make a disruptive new technologies, disruptive uh, uh, arm of our own company. And we we give them the assignment to go around out there in the market, find all the technologies that can threaten us with what we're doing now. And then we will invest in them. Uh, and, and, you know, for a family run German company, that's really, really impressive to have that kind of vision. Um, so, yes, and again, uh, tremendously important for us in terms of uh, credibility, because now it was not just these uh, tech guys from Denmark that knew a lot about uh, 3D printing, but not so much about construction. It was backed by one of the most important companies within the construction sector uh, on a global scale. Yeah, and then you have that sort of that hand on your shoulder that's like, hey, we're going to like we've got, you know, all the years and, and the huge team behind Perry Group to Basically, they are saying to us, tell us, tell us what you need and we will, we will help you. So, so you know, uh, tremendous support. Uh, fantastic. Uh, I would say the same thing goes also for, for Lafarge. It's a little later in the process, but Lafarge has also been a tremendous uh, partner to work with and GE also. And yes, we are lucky. We, we, we do have some tremendous customers. I can mention LNT Construction in India which is India's uh, uh, largest construction company with 135,000 employees. Wow. And, you know, we have numerous of these companies with 10, 20, 40,000 uh, employees, um, which, uh, which is backing us and, and, and our solution, uh, which is, of course, very satisfying for us as a company. Gotcha. So uh, I, I do want to turn back to one more um, line of questioning in wind energy, which is uh, distributed wind, the small wind turbines. Um, yeah. I mean, do you see this, you know, your printers are, what are they typically, I mean, would they be something accessible to say one, say one farm wanted to put up one small wind turbine? Is this going to make sense at that scale or is it only going to make sense at a bigger commercial scale? No, no, I think it will make sense also there. And, and there is clearly a development going. Uh, and, and obviously, we are spearheading that together with GE to go uh, taller and bigger, also in terms of, of, of the printers, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I could foresee at a certain point that, that we could do, for instance, a 30-meter 30, 30 windmill. And you have markets for that. Uh, I, I'm not too familiar with it in the U.S., but I know in Europe, uh, there's a regional market for those kind of uh, windmills. Uh, and yes, again, as the deployment of the technology is as, as fast as it is, uh, you, you set it up, you print fast, you take it down again fast, and then you're out of it. Yes, I can definitely see that happening. Gotcha. Yeah, we had uh, Paul Dawson from EOCycle on the show um, a couple episodes back, and he was, you know, their company is in distributed wind. So these 25 kilowatt, you know, smaller yeah. wind turbines that can power, you know, five to 10 homes or, a, you know, small yeah. business. 
Um, so yeah, I could see it having applications there. That's but, uh, but a thirty meter tall uh, windmill can uh, power a lot more than that. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Yeah, I think you said there. Um, you and your you and your meters. The U.S. needs to just ah, get sorry, on. Sorry, we, just sorry, sorry. we just need to get on. We just get on meters. Sorry. Well, it's sorry. funny. It's funny because it. Uh, no, I mean I want you to speak in, in you know your terms, but it, it's funny because you hear the word thirty and you think, oh, that's not that tall, but thirty meters is pretty darn tall. I mean that's you know. That is you know, feet. Ninety nine no, feet. I very yeah. easily. Uh, not a problem. <laughs> So, um, well, let's I talk about all over the globe. I have to be very international in the way I am. So, You're very uh, imperial metric fluid. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, let's talk about the future. Uh, obviously, you're still only a couple iterations into your technology. I mean, where do you see what are some challenges that you're facing? Um, where do you where do you still want to improve? And where do you hope to be in a, in a couple of years? Mm -hmm. well, the challenges we are facing is uh, traditional conservatism of the construction industry. So the construction industry is used to that they make a product that has to last at least 30 years. And here on this side of the pond in Europe, we, in essence, we built to last. That means there's no there's no end date for, for the buildings, uh, et cetera. They just last hundreds and hundreds of years. And we have lots of buildings like that, uh, both here and the rest of Europe. Because of that, then there is a, a natural um, uh, tendency uh, to not just plunge into any new technology that shows up and any new building method, because, you know, hang on, let's just see that it's there, you know, yeah. a year, mm -hmm. after, two years after, because we have to vouch for our product for so long. So that tend to grow a natural uh, uh, conservatism. Uh, again, luckily, because of the backing of, of Perry and Lafarge and, and, and similar companies, we over we overcoming it more and more, I would say, and, and it's, we can really see a change here in the last couple of years. That's one, one, one challenge. Another challenge is, uh, is permitting because all the uh, building codes were, were uh, was written around uh, the old fashioned technology. And now we come with a, with a new technology that can do it uh, way smarter in, in a lot of ways, but we are not allowed to by the building code. So quite often we have, hmm. to circle, we have to go around the code and do something a little bit stupid just to be able to make the code happy. So, uh, gotcha. so you know, I, I, would, I would like to see the changes in the building codes are happening faster. It is ongoing. It has been recognized that this must happen uh, because this new uh, technology is dominating uh, more, or it's not dominating, but it's becoming more and more uh, uh, available and it's making more and more buildings and so on. Uh, but it's a, probably a five to eight year, year, year process. Yeah, so I didn't, that, I didn't that think about that. Sorry? Yeah, that's interesting that the inspectors and just the regulations have to catch up with something that's very, yeah. very new. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but, but that's typical. That's typical. Mm -hmm. That has happened also in the uh, in the aviation industry, where, by the way, GE is also very big with metal, of, metal 3D printing of parts. Yeah. Uh, they also had to, you know, uh, do a lot to prove that the, um, uh, the, the 3D printed metal parts were as strong as the casted uh middle part and, and and so on so so regulations are always behind technology uh then it's never ahead of technology so in terms of where we want to go uh obviously we we want to go faster wider taller mm -hmm. uh and that's a, a, a continuous process and and we are we are very much developing in in that direction but we also want to go deeper in the sense that within the building why should we limit ourselves to just do what we can extrude. Why can't our printers, or maybe we should call them construction robotics, 
why can't they hold a spray gun and then we do painting? Or why can't we uh, do insulation while we are there anyway? So, so we see this uh, development uh, inwards, so to say, in terms of doing more and more functionality uh, to, to build in more and more functionality to the printers. And then we see this uh, taller, wider, faster development typical for new te te technology. Yeah, that's an interesting idea that not not only the structure of a, of a, a new house or, or building, but also as you're going like, hey, this is curing. Let's like you said, let's let's insulate. Let's add in some windows. Let's start to because yeah. there's a lot of you know, there's so many the order of operations and the, the you know, the construction checklist is so long. So, yeah, it's an interesting idea. Process. Yeah, it's a very complex process. There's a lot of manual uh, labor involved. So we are looking at the the processes that requires the most manual labor and then we see we we are investigating how could we auto automate that mm -hmm. because you know something that that's done very quickly is no no sense in automating but something which requires a lot a lot of labor that makes sense automating gotcha well and as we wrap up here i know there's well, there's one other thing that you're passionate about which is reducing co2 and helping yeah. the planet would you like to, to speak yeah. a little bit about um your mission with that well, I, I've always been, I, I know, I, I'm green from an economic point of view. Mm -hmm. I, you know, uh, so it, start, it started, obviously, you could say, with the windmills, where you have a free resources of wind, let's get the best out of that. But you can you can make the, the parallel into waste, uh, especially in the U.S. Uh, you might not know it, but you guys are very wasteful, and all of your waste more or less end up in landfills. Mm -hmm. uh, here in, in Europe, at least, we are pretty good at, at burning it for, for energy. But, you know, even even converting it into energy because you're burning it, if you think about it, you take paper and plastic and you put it into an oven, ah, why don't we, you know, recycle it back into paper and plastic so we don't have to use new resources? That's, that, to me, economically, must be a, a much, better, much better plan. Um, so, yeah, uh, anything that can help to reduce CO2 and, and, and this project that we're doing with Lafarge and... Uh, and GE is, is definitely also doing that because the taller you go with your windmills, the more you harvest of the energy. So, so, so of the wind up there. So you can mm -hmm. you can increase the output from the same windmill just by extending it. You can increase the output with twenty or thirty percent. So, in essence, from a CO two point of view, it more or less required the same amount of CO two to make the windmill, but now your output of it is is increased with with twenty and thirty percent. And obviously, every time we make more wind energy. We, we reduce the dependency on, on fossil fuels. So that's also from that point of view, extremely good. Yeah, well, that's, and that's, that's an important part of it because I think, especially here in the US, you see more and more companies integrating this environmentalism with their corporate you know, mission. So I think obviously in the- Yeah, green, here you can't avoid it. If, yeah. if you don't speak about being green and being environmentally friendly and low carbon footprint, you're dead. So yeah. At least you have to speak about it. But mm -hmm. Whether you then actually do so much about it is maybe another matter for for a lot of industries. But but you, you need to at least show that you care and that you are thinking about it and so on. Well, and then as we kind of like double back to the the mention of millennial workers, they're more than I think probably any other um, generation really driven by purpose. So they don't want to just work for a construction company and just build a building. They want to build a building that's also helping the environment and, you know, meeting some of those environmental goals. So I think it always continues to tie back into it. You know, the more, you know, you as a, you know, general manager of, of, of a large disruptive um, company that's doing good for the planet and, you know, no buts about it, you're outspoken about it. 
I think that helps that same recruitment cycle. Like young people want to be involved in things that don't just earn them a paycheck, but also are giving back to the environment. They know that when I'm running the printer, I'm helping the planet. I'm doing, you know, my part and not just for my family, my paycheck and my financial stability. But it's also a sign of an affluent uh, uh, country or an affluent uh, society. The richer, the richer you as a country become, the more you can afford to uh, look at non-financial things. Uh, whereas, you know, if you are fighting in Africa for your uh, everyday life, then it's very, very difficult to be CO2 friendly. And unfortunately, we see that. Uh, mm -hmm. We see that. Uh, there is a, a lot of damage going on in, in, in Africa and other developing uh, countries uh, or parts of the world, uh, not so developed, uh, where because the whole focus is on, you know, just getting by and making sure you get hot food and so on, that, uh, that we're not uh, applying the best practices that we could. Well, Henrik, this has been a, a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate your time. I think this is such an interesting technology. I watched all your YouTube videos and, you know, following around the, the, the time lapses are, are fascinating. More. More. <laughs> yeah. So we'll for sure link to all that stuff in the description below so you can follow up with Cobod and with their technology because it really is, it's fascinating and it really is a, a, a very interesting development in construction, not just for the wind industry, but for, for the planet. So. Thank you again for being on the show. And again, I really appreciate your time. No problem. Happy to be here. All right. That's it for our episode of the Uptime Podcast. I want to thank again today's guest, Henrik Lund Nielsen from Cobot International. Uh, be sure to check out the description links, whether you're listening uh, on, on podcast platforms such as iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or another, uh, or here on YouTube. Uh, be sure to check out the description links below where you can link out and, and watch some of Cobot's uh pretty amazing videos. Uh, you can check out their company and you can find ways to get in touch with them if you'd like to. Uh, obviously, please subscribe to the channel, share the show with a friend. This is a really fascinating episode. So if you know someone who geeks out on, on new technology like this, or, or is just really passionate about reducing CO2 in the atmosphere, uh, and obviously with, with green energy, you know, then definitely share the show because a, like I said, this is something that's gonna be more and more prevalent. It's really exciting, uh, interesting technology. And uh, yeah, we hope to see more of it in the future. Thanks again for listening and we will see you here next time on the Uptime Wind Energy Podcast. Is downtime causing you financial pain and putting a stop to your power production for months on end? It's no secret, lightning strike damage is a major cause of wind turbine downtime. This damage is preventable with our easy-to-install strike tape lightning protection system for wind turbine blades. Our incredible engineering, build quality, materials, and edge sealants withstand up to five times more abuse in the toughest weather and lightning conditions. And we've got the research to prove it. If you're tired of constant downtime, we can help. Reach out to us at weatherguardwind.com and schedule a free call. We'll get your uptime back in no time.